but also with the, the upper room study, before we get into the word, we have a, a good time of, of worship as you guys all uh, participated in, but also we have um, a good time of, of devotion where we'll have a, a, one of the brothers come up and just share something that the Lord has put on his, on his heart. And tonight, we're going to have one of the brothers come up. His name is Eric, and he's just a sweet brother. Like, man, he's, sometimes you look at him, you think like, man, this guy's kind of scary, but he's really not, man. He, he loves the Lord. He has a, a, a passion to know God and to, to get other people to know him. And you, you can just, you see it when he, when he talks with you and you sit down. If you have a, a good time of fellowship with him, at least I've experienced it. He's, he's a very sweet brother. He's a dear brother. He loves the Lord. And uh, tonight he's going to bring a message from God's word and just something that the Lord has placed on his heart. So I pray that you guys would, uh, would open up your hearts and just uh, be ready to receive what it is that, uh, that he's going to share with us. So would you guys join me in welcoming up Eric Sauce? Thank you. I'm a bit taller than the average bear, so I need a mic heavier. Well, thank you guys. It's been a while since I've been here. Um, I'm very glad to be here. I love the Upper Room Study. It's been a uh, pivotal part in my life for the past two and a half years. And we've come to the end of the year. 2009 is over. And if you are like me, you are running to Friday. You are very excited for this year to be over, whether the Lord has tested you many times, whether the Lord has kept you uh, secluded so you can learn from the areas that you have fallen before. Whether it was a year of just nothing but fruit, hey, you know, the Lord has done many things in your life, and we're looking forward to a new year. I know I am. Everyone at the upper room is. And so one of the things that's important for me is to remember what God has done through Jesus on the cross. Now, when we look back on this year, um, it's good to look back and reflect and see what God has done personally in your life. That's good. That's excellent. But what's most important is to see what he has done for you that holds the most weight. So what I'm saying is by sending his son to die upon the cross for each and every one of us, that's, that's pivotal. That's, that's the pivotal part of a Christian life. And so we are to reflect and remember that. And I'm going to show you some verses and some parts of scripture that's going to show you why that's important. I just ask that you would uh, stay quiet. You would meditate on it. If you're texting, put your phone away. If you're looking at books, um, commentaries, whatever, I ask that you would close it and you would just uh, meditate and receive from the Lord. Um, It's important for me. And so, like I said, to remember what God has done through Jesus Christ at the cross, that's what's important. And when we look at the Old Testament, we see God throughout the Old Testament laying over things of why his people should remember and reflect on what God has, God has done. In Joshua chapter 4, you don't have to turn to there, but if you want to write it down, you can, because there's going to be a lot of verses I'm going to throw at you. So Joshua chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, it talks about how Joshua is commanded to get the people of Israel to collect stones when they came out of Egypt, when they crossed the river, to collect stones. It's really weird to collect stones. What's the purpose of that? In, jo- in Joshua chapter 5, the next chapter over, he commands Joshua to circumcise all the males as a sign. Again, something random. Collect stones and to circumcise the males. For what? What's the purpose of that? 
They're both for signs. When you read those passages, you see that they're both signs. Okay, to collect the stones in Joshua chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, it's so his people would remember where God brought them out of. God brought his people, the Israelites, out of bondage and captivity in Egypt, which is a picture of him bringing us today, his people today, out of the dominion of sin, which is what Egypt represented back then, represents sin to us. So he wanted them to collect stones so they would remember. They would remember where they came from. They would remember what God has done. Also in chapter 5, circumcision is a sign. I'm going to read to you verse 9 right here so you can understand what it's saying. In verse 9 at the beginning it's saying, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the name of the... And the so the beginning, today I've rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. It's a sign. Circumcision was a sign to show that the dominion and power of Egypt over the people of Israel was taken away. God had taken that away from them when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. And the circumcision is a sign and a symbol to that. Today, the sign for us to see where God has delivered us from, where he has brought us from, for us to remember is the cross. The cross of Christ, that's, that's what we're supposed to remember. That's what we're supposed to reflect on because it's at the cross that Jesus paid for sin, the sin of his people, every single ounce, every single sin you've ever committed, you ever will commit, was paid for at the cross. Three hours of excruciating pain that goes before that as well when Jesus was carrying the cross, when he was insulted, when he was whipped, when he was spit on, for the sin of his people. That's what we're supposed to reflect and that's what we're supposed to remember. The Old Testament is a picture of that. Collecting the stones and the circumcision is a picture so that his people then would remember what God has done. The point of that is so is two things. The point of remembering what God has done is to be humbled and to be obedient. You're humbled because you see where God has brought you out of. For us today, when we remember the cross, we see what our sin costs. And we're humbled by that. Because we understand how sinful we really are in our heart. And what God has done through Christ. We're also obedient. We're obedient to God because we see, again, what he did for us. That's the point. That's the message. The message of the Bible is not about how good you are. It's about how bad you are and what God has done for sinners like you and me. That's the point. That's what he wants you to remember. In Psalm 106.7, the people of Israel did not remember. Most of them did not remember. And as it talks about, I'm going to read it to you. Psalm 106.7, Our fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders, They did not remember your abundant kindness, but they rebelled by the sea, at the Red Sea. See, the people rebelled because they didn't remember. When you don't remember all that God has done, you are not humbled, you are not obedient, and you just continue sinning. You continue walking in disobedience. If ever you forget about how much your sin cost by forgetting to remember the cross and Jesus Christ, then you're going to walk in disobedience because you're not going to walk in humility and you're not going to walk in obedience. 
constantly in the Old Testament, we see God wants to get that point across. In Isaiah chapter 40, he says, Have you not heard and have you not been taught? The implication, do you not know? Don't you know about me, God's saying? Don't you know what I did? Don't you remember? See, we can't even begin to fathom his ways, but we're allowed a glimpse when we look at the, old, at the Scriptures, Old and New Testament. And so he's asking, have you not heard? Have you not been taught? That's what he wants to know. He wants to know if you remember what he's done. He called out to the, to the Old Testament, to the people of Israel, his chosen people, have you not known? Have you not been taught? Same thing with us. Do you not know? When you go out and live in your life and you reflect on everything, you reflect of the good things and such, but do you not know what God did for you to forgive you of an infinite amount of debt, which is more important than anything else in your life? The reason you go to heaven and you spend eternity with the Father is not because you're good. It's not because you go to church. But it's because he sent his son Jesus to die for you and pay for your sin. The sin that separated you from God. That's what he wants you to remember. That's what he calls for. He calls for you to meditate and remember on Jesus, on the cross. So you may walk in obedience. You may walk in humility. See, it's a lot different. I want you to fathom that. I want you to try and understand that that is the supreme importance of your life, of my life, of Aaron's life, Alfredo's life, Brian's life, everyone's life. It's about what Jesus had done for them, what Jesus has done for all of his people by dying on the cross. So as we go into this new year, I want you to remember that. It's my prayer and my desire for you to remember that. It's my prayer and my desire for you to walk in humility and obedience to God because you know the cost of your life. If you ever want to know, I ask that you would come to the foot of the cross and then you would look up and see Jesus hanging there because he did it for you and for me. Everything you've ever done was paid for at the cross. Allow that to soak your mind, soak in your heart as you approach this next year. Yeah, you want to go big for the Lord? That's good. Praise God. You want to do mighty things? You want to serve at all the ministries at church? Praise God. But reflect first on the cross. Allow that to mold and shape your heart so that when you walk and when you do things, you do that with an understanding that the reason I can do this is because I've been forgiven of my sin, which is most important. Real quick, Revelation 3.3. 3. Write that down. You don't have to turn to it. This is Jesus speaking. He says, So remember what you have received and heard, and keep it and repent. Remember what you have received. So as we go on about our lives, I ask you the same thing. Have you not heard? Have you not been taught? Because there is a Savior who died for his flock. So I just ask that you would remember that these next couple days leading up to the new year. And we pray for a great new year that the Lord will do mighty things. Um, But my hope and my prayer is that your devotion to Christ would be deeper, have more roots in it, 
because you reflect and you meditate on what Christ has done upon the cross. So as we get into the study, I just ask that you would pray with me um, as we close up uh, this study later on tonight for the, the 2009 year. What a great year it's been. So I just ask that, like I said, you would just reflect and remember that and walk in humility and obedience. So pray with me. Father, thank you so much, Lord, for what you have done for all of us at this study. We just ask, God, that your word would penetrate our hearts. Your word will mold us and shape us, and your word will bring us low. It will bring us to the end of ourselves. Help us to know that we simply walk by grace, by faith, because of what you have done. Help us to reflect and remember the cost of our sin when we look at the cross and see what your son did for us. Father, we ask that you prepare our hearts for the message. Nothing is from me, nothing is from Aaron, but it's solely from you. We ask that your word would penetrate our hearts, Father, and we seek to walk in a stronger devotion of obedience and humility towards you in this next year. So we ask for your hand upon this. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. And let's thank Sauce for coming up and sharing for us or with us. And it's, it's really true just how often the cross can become dull in our minds that we can, we can forget. And every day we should remember the cross and what Christ has done for us. Because apart from the cross, we can, do, we can do nothing. We would still be stuck in our sins. We would still be just going about our lives oblivious to, to the, the things that he wants for us and the life that he's, he sent his son to die for us to have. So... I pray that this next year, every single day, that we would all remember the cross and that we would respond humbly in obedience and that we would submit to the, to the lordship of Jesus Christ in our, in our lives. So thanks, Eric, for sharing. Dang, this is a little high. But, um, like I said earlier, tonight we were going to be in John chapter 21. So if you guys have your Bibles, I pray that all you have your Bibles here, that you would turn with me to John chapter 21. John chapter 21 happens to be the last book of the Gospel of John. So, I mean, it's, it's sad to leave the Gospels, but, man, it's, it, was, it was a great time in the Gospels. All the red letters, all the words of Christ. So, before we get into this study, would you guys just uh, join me in a word of prayer and ask the Lord to bless our time? God, we just we ask that you would, uh, that you would bless this time. We recognize that that you love us, that you sent your son to die for us so that we would know you. So, Father, I pray that that would happen here in this Bible study, that we would, we would know you better, that we would draw closer to you. Father, I pray that you would just open our hearts to receive your word, to receive your truth. Father, and I ask that you would help me to clearly just demonstrate or, or just speak of, of your truth. I pray that the people would receive it, that we would walk away changed, that we would live lives obedient to your word, and that we would always seek to glorify you in everything we do. So, Father, I ask that you would be glorified in this time, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, 
John chapter 21 starts off, let's just dive right in. In verse 1, it says, After these things, Jesus showed himself again to, his, to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we are going with you. And they went out immediately and got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. Let me stop there real quick. Verse 1 says, after these things. After these things, after what things? We'll read, hopefully you guys read yesterday's chapter, chapter 20. And we see that Jesus appeared to the disciples. And particularly to, to Thomas, the doubter. And uh, Jesus said, remember Thomas was the one who said that I, I won't believe unless I am able to put my hands into his side or put my, my, to see his nail prints in his hands. So Jesus shows up and he, he shows him himself and he tells him to put your hand in, in my side and, and look at my nail prints. And those are the things that happened. Jesus appeared to the disciples. So when it says that after these things, what things? The things that, that happened were that Jesus appeared to his disciples. And again here, this chapter starts off that Jesus again shows himself to the disciples he says that he shows himself at the Sea of Tiberias. Um, the Sea of Tiberias is just another name for the Sea of Galilee. The, the, it was more of a lake, actually. So the Sea of Galilee is where this whole situation is going to take place. I don't know, whenever I look at Scripture, I like to just visualize it like, I don't know, like as like a movie almost. So it's just more interactive for me. So like I, it's just like the, I hear the narrator's voice. Like, oh, after these things, Jesus again showed himself to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself. And then all of a sudden it goes into the scene and then we see everything happening. I don't know, maybe I'm just weird, but I like to let the, the Bible just come alive in my life. And I pray, I mean, if that's what you have to do to, to, to understand Scripture, that, that you would do that. Or just don't see it as a, you know, a dull book, but these are real stories. These are real events. This is like the truest story ever. And Jesus here, as he reveals himself to the disciples, it lists the disciples. It lists Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, which is just a Greek word for the word twin, Nathaniel of, Can- of Cana in Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and the two others of the disciples that were with him. So there, was, there were seven of them. And then Simon Peter, just he stands up and he says, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, well, we're going with you. And so that they went out immediately. We see Simon, he just, he's a leader. He's just a natural leader. And we see that just clearly in the practical way that, that it's shown here. He says, I'm going fishing. And the disciples, the other guys that are with them, like, all right, we'll, we'll go with you. And, I mean, we see people like this just in the church today that they just have the gift of leadership. They, they want to go do something, and people will follow. But the, one gift is not greater than the other gift. We all have been given gifts as the body of the church, and, and we are to use those to glorify God. Peter's gift was leadership, and it, it happened practically. And I, I believe for, for all of us, our gifts are built inside of us. It's just something that is practical in our own lives. For Peter, he says, I'm going to go fishing. The, the disciples follow him. So he, he's demonstrating his, his gift of, of leadership. They go and they just, they, they follow him. They go to chill in the boat and go to go fishing. Another thing is that, is that they, um, they were together. The disciples were together. And I love that this picture just shows us that fellowship is it's important. I mean, it's good to have your quiet times and, and time to be alone before the Lord. And those, things, those times are the most important. But also, we should not neglect fellowship. Sometimes you can just go and hang out with, with solid brothers. I praise God for the brothers that he's placed in my life, that I can share good fellowship with, that I can be encouraged by. 
And it says that they went on the boat and all night they caught nothing. Like they were just, they had no luck. They were just working hard. They didn't catch not a single fish. But they were together. They were just chilling. They were having a good time. And I'm sure they were, when they're on the boat, they're talking about all the things that they, man, you remember that one time when we were on the lake and, and Jesus walked on the water to us and we were all scared and he said, peace be still. Like they were just, I'm sure they were having those kind of conversations. And one of the times when, when we fellowship, I pray that our conversations would be focused on the Lord and the things that he's done for us because they're encouraging to other people. They're encouraging to, to other believers that God would work in your life and that God would, would want to work in, in my life the same way or in a, in a similar way. So when we testify to these things or the things that the Lord is doing in our life, it, it causes for true fellowship to take place. Not just, you know, hanging around and just talking about random things, sports scores, and who scored the last bucket in the Lakers game, but that we would share the truth of, of God's word and, and what he's done for us in our life. But as we look, it says that they, they were there all night and they caught nothing. Let's continue into, into verse 4 and see the next part of the story. It says, but... When morning had come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. All right, so you see the disciples here. They're on the lake, or they're on the Sea of, uh, of Galilee. And they're fishing, toiling all night. They didn't catch not a single fish. And all of a sudden, they hear a voice. Hey, children, have you guys any food? And they answer and say, no. I just try to put myself in the situation. If I was in the boat, and if I had been fishing all night and hadn't caught a single fish, and somebody came up to me, hey, you guys catch anything? Like, I'm like, oh, man, like, no, I don't want to say that I didn't catch anything. Like, you think about it. Like, they could have said Oh, yeah, we caught a bunch of fish. Like, how's the guy going to know it's on the shore? Like, they could have been like, hey, mind your business. They could have just like, don't worry about it if we caught any fish or not. But no, they responded honestly. They said no. They, they humbled themselves. They, they responded humbly and honestly. And I think it's important for us as believers, as disciples of Christ, as these men here were, that we would always respond to everyone honestly and humbly, that we wouldn't seek to make more of, of our situation or make it less of, than what it is, but that we would res- respond truthfully to everyone. I mean, it was Jesus that they were responding to. I mean, it could have just been some random guy, but this was actually Jesus. And the Bible says that when we, when we are kind to a stranger, that some of us would even entertain angels. So don't be so quick to, to be concerned about yourself and the things that, that, you know, that you have your own agenda, but take time to just be kind, be affectionate, be, respond like a disciple of Christ. Demonstrate love. I mean, these disciples, they, they, they demonstrate the character that God said that they would have as his disciples. They loved, they loved, they responded humbly, they responded honestly when Jesus asked them if they had any fish. And I noticed that they said, he says, he refers to them as children. He says children, which is like an affectionate term. And I think it's, it's cool for us as believers to recognize that we are God's children. Like, we are truly his kids. Like, he cares for us. He cares for us. Like, you are his son. You are his daughter. You're not just some, another person that gets mixed in the shuffle. He actually cares for you. The Bible says that he knows the very hairs that number your head. Like, that's amazing. Like, I hope that you don't just let that go one, in one ear and out the other, but that you would truly, like, just receive that, that you are a child of God. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you have submitted to his lordship, that you are his child, 
He cares for you. I mean, we see with children, what if, if, if someone asked a child, like, do you have any food? Where would the child get the food from? Like, children don't, you know I mean, they, they can't work. They don't, you know, have jobs. They don't, most kids aren't out in the kitchen cooking or, you know, making up a feast. They get their food from their, their parents. They get their food from their provider. We recognize that, that us as, as child, or children of God, that everything that we have comes from God, that he provides for us. Our food comes from him. The Bible is our food. It's our, it's our bread. Jesus has said that he's the bread of life. This is our, our spiritual food. God has given this to us. You as his son, as his daughter, he has given you his word so that you may be nourished. He has provided it for you. Take the time to get into the word that you would nourish yourself, that you would be sp- spiritually healthy. And Jesus, he asked them, have you any food? And like I said, they responded. They said, no. In verse 6, it says that Jesus says to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So this guy on the shore is yelling out to them. They've been fishing all night. It's, it's morning time now. They haven't caught a single fish. I mean, you would think that they're like, man, I already cast on the right side of the boat. If there was fish here, I think we would have caught some. But they didn't have doubt. They just simply, they, they did it. They obeyed. They heard the words of Christ and they obeyed. They cast the net. It says that when they cast the net, that they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. When they obeyed the words of Christ, they were blessed. They were blessed beyond their belief. Like, it was just something that happened that, that when they obeyed the words of Christ, that they didn't seek to, you know, ask questions. They simply obeyed. They cast the net. For us, is we just need to obey the words of Christ. The word of Christ is this. He said in John chapter 1, he is the word. He is the word. We are to obey the word. And when we obey the word, we're blessed. We don't simply obey just to be blessed, but we obey in a response to what he's done for us. And we know that we'll be blessed, that we'll be provided for. Because we're his child. We're his kid. He cares for us. Obedience to the word is essential to the Christian life. You can't, you can't say that you're a Christian and live in complete disobedience with the word of God. How does that line up? The Bible says that you're a liar and the truth is not in you. Obey the words of God. How do you obey the words of God? First of all, you have to know the word of God. How do you know the word of God? By spending time in the word of God. That's why we come together. That's why we read the Bible a chapter a day. It's not just so that we can say that we read the Bible from cover to cover. No, it's so that we would know God. So we would know what he requires of us. So that we would know how to to live in this world. How we can glorify him. How we can bring honor to his name. The only way we can figure these things out is by knowing the word of God, knowing him, knowing who he is. So I pray that you wouldn't just come to this Bible study every Tuesday and, you know, hear every seventh chapter, but that every single day that you would make time to get into the word of God, that you would make time. Sometimes like, oh, I'm busy. I, you know, I got to do Christmas shopping. I got to set up for the party. I got to do this. I got to do that. Really? You know, it was told me one time and it hit me so, so powerfully is, is you will make time for the things that are important to you. If it's important to you, you will make time for it. Is the word of God important to you? Is knowing God important to you? Or is it something that you do on Sundays? If it's important to you, you will make time to get into the word of God. And when you get into the word of God, you allow it to get into you. And that you will be obedient to the word of God. That when God says go, you will go. When he says cast the net, you cast the net. 
What happens when you do that? You're blessed. There is no greater blessing than being obedient to the word of God. It's just, it's a joy that fills you. It's a joy that just, a peace that comes over you, that surpasses all understanding, knowing that you are in line with what God created you for. So they, they were, the disciples, they were blessed here. They pull in a multitude of fish. They pull a grip of fish in after toiling all night and not catching nothing. Let's move into verse 7. In the verse 7, it says, Therefore, the, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. Then Simon Peter heard that it was, then Simon Peter, when he heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and he plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. And as soon as they had come to land, they saw the fire with the they saw a fire of coals there with fish laid on it. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have caught. And Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land, full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. So we see the story came out to plus. They, they, they're pulling a great load of fish. They come to the shore and they recognize that it's Jesus. But first in verse, in verse 7, it says the disciple that, that Jesus loved, who we later will find out that is, is John, the, the Apostle John. He says that, that it's the Lord. How did he know that it was the Lord? I, I questioned it, like, okay, how, all of a sudden, like, the whole time they seen this guy on the shore, nobody knew that it was him. All of a sudden, when they pull in this multitude of fish, the first thing that pops into John's head is, it's the Lord. How did he know? Who else? could know that there's a, a, a great multitude of fish there on the right side of the boat at that very time. Who had the power to, to tell that? Who had the authority to make that whole thing happen? No one else but God. It was God. It was the Lord. It was clear in John's mind by the, the things that had happened that it was the Lord. Plus, we remember earlier in the gospel that the last time that they were on the, on the sea and they were fishing and they caught a multitude of fish, who was the one who directed him to that multitude of fish? It was Jesus. He worked in the same way that he had worked in, in times past. I mean, so, so, so often I think we can get caught up in, in just our work and, and just the things that, that we do or the things that we go on on, on a day-to-day be- basis, whether it be school. I know for myself, I can get so caught up with work and just so stressed out, especially this, these last few weeks with the holidays. It's like the busiest time for me. And sometimes I miss the work's that Jesus is doing in my life, that I don't pay attention to him, that I don't just say thanks for him. Like John, he was quick to recognize the work of the Lord, that the Lord allowed this miracle to take place. I think for us, we need to slow down sometimes and just recognize the work of the Lord. He, he loves us. We're his children. He will reveal himself to us. He will work in our lives. So often we'll miss it just because we're so busy. We don't, we don't clearly see who he is because we spend so little time at his feet. We spend so little time in his word desiring to see him. I know this, this past week I was uh, just so stressed out. Like I was just going in and out of stores. I had, I, had to do a, I had a whole lot on my plate basically. And like I really wasn't just spending time just to enjoy the, the, the things that the Lord was doing. And all of a sudden I'm going through this one store and this guy sees me. And he just stops me. And he's like, it's like, hey, man, why why you look so stressed? I'm like, man, I'm just running and gunning. It's, it's just a lot of things I got to get done. I'm like, he's like, man, you you really got to smile. Like, just just enjoy it. Like, 
you got to just, and it sounded like he said he let your light shine, but I was just running the gun so much. I really give him the time of day to, to hear what he was talking about. But as I'm walking away, I'm just like, man, I do need to smile. Like, like I do need to just enjoy life. Like, it's not all about the work I get accomplished or the things that we do here on this earth. But like, God has given us the day. He's given us the ability to breathe, to walk, to use our arms, to see. Like, don't let those things seem smaller or that you would overlook those things. And it just was that, that very moment that I felt like just the Lord spoke to me, even through that, that guy who didn't even know me. But it was just like, smile. Recognize my works. Recognize who I am. And if it wasn't too far after that, I'm driving. I'm like, okay. And I start getting back into it again. And I pull up behind this truck. Or not a truck. It was a van. And it had two bumper stickers. And another one said, like, smile, like, Jesus is Lord or something like that. And it was just weird, like, that God would... He would spend, he would take the time to put that van right in front of me and that I would see those two bumper stickers just to remind me, like, I need to be focused on him. Like, God works in our lives. He can, he will show up in your life. He will reveal himself to you. He will remind you of things. Keep your eyes open. Stay focused on him. Allow him to, to reveal himself to you. Remember that you have the joy of your salvation. Like, what else could you be bummed about? You have eternity in heaven with God. You have fellowship with God. So Peter, when he hears that, that it's the Lord, after John recognized it, what does he do? He, he immediately jumps into the water. He plunges into the water. He's in a hurry to get to God. But it says that he puts, he puts on his outer garment because he had taken it off. And a lot of times, if they were working all night, imagine they were pulling up these nets. It wasn't like they were casting rods and, and catching fish like that. Like they were, had to pull these heavy nets out of the water. Like have you ever like been by the pool in the summertime, whatever, and a pool or a towel drop in and you try to pull it out and it seems like super heavy? Just imagine a net. Like that heavy, like a super huge net. They're just trying to catch all these fish in. They're pulling it out of the water. They would have been working. They it's, it's, it's a labor. So he took off his outer garment. He was just chilling and working. But when he sees Christ on the, on the shore, he puts on his garment and jumps in. I was like, why did he put on his garment? Like, what, what sense does that make? Like, wouldn't you think it would be easier for him to swim there just in the way that he was working that night? And, I mean, I read a suggestion that, that it, was, it could be possibly that he was just he was trying to appear his best before the Lord. He took the time, like, even though it would have been uncomfortable, imagine putting on a, a T-shirt and trying to, or you've been pushed into the pool, fully clothed in the summertime or something like that, and it's just, it's not comfortable. Like, you just get out of the pool, and you're like, oh, you're so mad, but at the same time, it kind of feels good because it's hot out. But, like, it's, it's uncomfortable to be, to be that way. But even in that level of uncomfort, Peter was in a hurry to get to the Lord. He didn't care what it took. He wanted to present himself the best he could. And I think for us as believers, we need to present ourselves in the best way we can when we come to the Lord, that we acknowledge that he is a holy God, that he is a righteous God. And I'm a firm believer in, in that it's not so much in the appearance of our outward that, that allows us to be into the pres- come into the presence of God, but more importantly, it's the, the attitude of our heart. But I also believe that if the attitude of our heart is in reverence to God, that it will reflect in our outward appearance. That we, it'll, be visibly, it'll be visible because our hearts are right. So when we seek God, when we go to God, recognize that we need to present ourselves in the best way we can. As Peter, he, he jumped in. He was in a hurry to get to the Lord. He jumped in and, and swam. It says that, uh, but the other disciples in verse 8, that they came in on the boat, for they weren't far from land, about 200 cubits. And a cubit is uh, it's an, it's a unit of measurement that you see in the, old, in the New Testament that, that it's, um, they would use like body parts as, as tools of measurements. Like they would say like a, a day's journey away. And a cubit was, um, 
was basically from your elbow to the tip of your finger, which is approximately like 18 inches. They're about 200 cubits away, so about 300 feet, or like the length of a football field, basically. They were away from the shore. And Peter, he's swimming a, a, that whole length of the football field just to hurry up and get to the Lord. But the others, they come in on the, on the, uh, on the boat, and they're dragging a load of fish. And then as soon as they come to land, it says in verse 9, that they saw a fire of coals and fish laid on and they saw a, a fire of coals and fish laid on it, and they saw bread. And then Jesus said to them in verse 10, bring some of the fish which you have caught. So I like this, this verse, especially seeing the, the, the coals. It's barbecue, man. It's biblical. Like, I, I love barbecue. So it's completely biblical to barbecue. But uh, Jesus, he has, this, he has this whole meal set up. He has the fish laid up on the coals, and uh, he has the bread ready for him. And then he, he looks at him, he says, bring some of the fish that you have. Bring some of the fish that you have. Remember, these guys, these guys they pulled up the nets. They, have, they put in work. They put in work to get these fish to the shore. And he asked them to bring some of what they have. Although Jesus already has everything set up, he has, his, he has the fish and he has the bread, he allows them to bring what they have. It's, it's, it's amazing to me that God would allow me to bring what I have and offer it to him, that I would be able to bring what I have to him. Even though he's the, in, he's the creator of the universe, he's the God who's in control of all things, he owns all things, everything that I have is his. But he would still ask me to, to, to bring what I have, bring, bring what it is, bring the fish that you have. And, like, I, th- I was thinking of this. I remember as I was a kid, like, uh, when, like, holidays would come around or my mom's birthday or something, like, I'd be like, hey, mom, can I get some money? She's like, for what? So I can buy you a gift. It's like, how are you going to buy somebody a gift with the money that they give you? But at the time, like, I'm a kid. Like, I don't have no other way to get it. I just wanted to get my mom a gift. So she would give me money to go buy her a gift. And it's like, I mean, she could have just kept the money and been better off. But she would allow me to, to use that money to, to bring something to her. And in the same way, I think that... God is in control. He has, he, he, he's given us everything that we have. But it, it's just as pleasing as it was for my mom to receive a gift from her son because he loves her. God is willing to receive what we have because he loves us. What are you offering to God? He's given you so much. What are you offering to God? What are you bringing to him? It's not that it, something that he, he demands of you, but out of a response of love, how could you not? Like, give him whatever it is that you have. Just offer it to him. Because he loves you. And because he loves you, we should love, we res- respond in love back to him. But verse 11 says that Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land, full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. So Peter, man, I just love Peter. He's, he's just, he's all about just doing for the Lord. He's going hard for God. And we remember that in, in a few chapters back that he denied the Lord, that he was far from doing the, the, the righteous thing for God. But here he says, bring us some of the fish. And who's the one that goes and grabs the fish? Peter, he's pulling all these fish to land. He wants to, to just give everything he has. He's been fishing all night, but yet he's still willing to run to the shore to, to swim 100 yards and then go pull all these fish to the land. He wants to, to, to please the Lord. It says that when he pulls the fish to the, uh, the, the net, to the, when he drags the fish to land, that it's full of large fish, 153. Now, 153. I was looking at this and I was like, man, is there some kind of like, you know, 
hidden symbolism in there, like 153. And it's so easy to get lost in, like, numerology and all kinds of weird stuff like that. There are so many different, like, suggestions. There's a guy that said that, you know, 153 represents the, the, the total number of species of fish, so therefore it's declaring that it's, it's a catch of the whole world or it's an entire catch of the whole world or, or that the numbers from 1 to 17 equal 153. So 10 commandments plus 7 uh, sevenfold gifts of the spirit equals 17. So that's what it's re- represented here. It's like, man, you can get so so far off from what the true meaning of scripture is. When it says 153, I think it's just there to declare that there was 153 fish. That That's simply what it means, that there was 153 fish, that there was an exact number, and they knew it. And it also gives a testimony to John being a, an eyewitness because he knew that there was 153 fish. But what I do think is important is that there is an exact number recorded, that there is a, a number. And we recognize that, that Peter, that he was, he was a fisherman. And when he, when he was fishing, they brought in this, this large catch. It was 153 fish. But Christ said that he had come to make them a fisher of men. And that, that, he would, that he would go fish for men. And when they bring these men to the Lord, that each one of these men that, that comes to God, each and every soul that comes to God is counted. He knows each and every one. Remember, he's the good shepherd. He knows his sheep. He knows them by name. He knows each and every one of you. If you have put your faith in Christ, if you have confessed him to be the Lord and Savior of your life, he knows you. He knows exactly who you are. He has the exact number written in a book. Your name is written in a book. He cares for you. He loves you. Again, he, he is the good shepherd. So when it says 153, it is important that, that accurate numbers are, are, are recorded. And God is, a, is an excellent record keeper. He knows his people. He knows his sheep. He knows who are, are his. Verse 12 says that, that Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. And Jesus says, come eat breakfast. But none of the disciples dared ask him. No, nobody dared ask who was who was who it was, and like, why would they need to ask who it was? I mean, John already declared that it was the Lord, right? So why would they need to ask? It was either that that they uh, they didn't recognize it still that it was the Lord, or or you know, in, in times past we see in the gospel that he had he had hidden himself from the disciples, but none of them dared ask because they knew they had seen what had happened. They seen this miracle. They knew that it was the Lord. And I think the same way in our lives, sometimes we, we question, like, God, is that you? Is that you telling me to go over there? Or is that you wanting me to go in this direction? But when we recognize God for who he is and the works that he's done, we, we, we understand him. We understand who he is. We understand his character. So God's not going to tempt us because we know that the scripture says that God doesn't tempt. So the more and more we know scripture, the more and more we know the word of God, we recognize and we see him clearly for who he is. We see Christ. We see the character of God. We don't have to ask questions as to to who he is. Not that we can't ask questions, but that as our relationship grows and that we continue to fellowship with God, that we draw closer to him. He draws closer to us so that those questions that, that may have been a little foggy before, they're clear. We can understand if he's guiding us or if he's directing us because his word tells us so. His word will not lead us astray. The word of God is our backbone. It's, 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 our, it's what we go to, the Bible, the B-I-B-L-E, the basic instructions before leaving this earth. 
this is our this is our sword. This is our equipment. This is what we use to discern and to, to make choices and to be guided in life. God has given this to us as a gift. I pray that you would really spend time in the Word of God so that you would recognize His leading, His calling, and His works that He's doing in your life. Verse thirteen says, "Then Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish." Now, this is the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So this is the third time declared in, in John's gospel that, uh, that Jesus revealed himself. And again, it's like I said, it's in John's gospel the third time that he's revealed himself. Well, let's move on to, to, verse, to verse 15. It says that, so when they had eaten, when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he had said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. A lot of us here will recognize that this is the restoration of Peter. We've seen in, in chapters past that, that, that Peter, he denied the Lord three times. But here he's restored. The Lord asked him three times to declare his love for him. Interesting, though, as, as we go through verses 15, 15 through 17, the word for love there in the Greek, there's a slight difference, but I believe we should pay attention to the difference. And a lot of you will have the little notes in your Bible, the little number next to the word love. And then if you look in the reference, it'll show, you know, that it's a, a different word and it'll explain the word. So the, the, the discourse or the conversation would go like this. Some, the two words that are used there are agape love, which is an all-consuming, the love that God has. And the other word would be phileo or like a, a brotherly love. So the conversation would go, Simon, of jo- son of Jonah, do you agape me? Do you, do you self-sacrificially love me more than these? And he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. But the word that Peter responds back with, he says, I phileo you. You know that I have a, a, a brotherly affection for you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. The second time, Jesus uses the same word again, Simon, do you agape me? And Peter again uses the same word. Lord, you, you know that I love you. You know that I phileo you. You know that I have a brotherly affection for you. The third time, this is when it changes a little bit, Jesus says to him, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Do you phileo me? Do you have a brotherly affection for me? And this is when Peter gets grieved. says that he's grieved because he asks him a third time if he loves him. And Peter, he appeals to the, to the omniscience of God. He says, Jesus you know that you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him again, feed my sheep. These three times that, that Jesus asked the question, the first two times he asked him if he has a, the agape love, the all-consuming love. We know from, from the Bible that the person who loves God keeps his commandments. The person who agapes God, who, who loves God un, more than anything, and has a godly love, is the one who keeps his commandments. But we recognize that, that we all fall short of the commandments, that we all fall short of keeping the commandments. But through Christ, Christ, the one who was able to keep the commandments, the one who was perfect, blameless, sinless, he kept the law. 
And because of Christ and the work that he's done, the, 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 the work that he's done on the cross for us, we can love God through Christ. We can love God because of what Christ has done. We can love him wholeheartedly. But Simon, or Peter, he says, you know, I have a brotherly affection for you. And a lot of the reason why I believe that, that Peter, he, he doesn't, he's not so quick to, to agree to the agape love is because he, rec- he sees himself. It wasn't too long ago where he was, he was denying that he even was a disciple, that he even knew the Lord. He sees his, his failures. He sees his shortcomings. How can he confess that he com- fully loves God? But God, he, he asked him again. Jesus asked him again, Simon, do you love me? And the first question when he asked him, he asked him, do you love me more than these? Than these what? Some would say that, that these is referring to the, to the fish, the great number of fish. Or some would say that, that these refers to, to the, the work that he was doing, the fisherman's lifestyle. Do you love me more than, than your work, your lifestyle? Others would say that, do you love me more than these disciples? Do you love me more than all these other men that are standing here? And we read that in times past, Peter was quick. He was zealous. He was quick to, to say, Lord, though all may deny you, I will not deny you. And right after that, he fell. And we know that before, or pride comes before a fall. God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Peter responds humbly. He responds humbly and says, Lord, he, he's honest. Like, I love you with everything that I can, that I can say honestly that I love you. I love you with the brotherly affection. And he gives him the command. He says, feed my lambs. The second time, he says, tend my sheep. To tend to the sheep would mean to, to care for the sheep. And the third time, when Jesus asked him, do you, do you phileo me? Do you have a brotherly love for me? This grieved him. This, this, this hurt him. Like, I think partially because at that very moment, that third time would bring so clear a reminder of the third time that he denied the Lord and the rooster crowed. His sin, his, his denial of God was so clear to him at that point. It just it grieved him. A lot of times when the Lord chooses to restore us, or the Lord will restore us, we have to confront the areas where we fall short. Not that we can just, you know, forget about that or forget about that time that, you know, we fell short, but that we would confess it, that we would confront it, that we would allow the Lord to do a restoration in us. If we're holding on to it, if we're holding on to sin, if we're holding on to these things, how can you expect the Lord to restore you? You need to confess, give it to the Lord, and allow him to restore you. Confront your sin. Do you not know that you are the child of God, that you have been given the very Holy Spirit of God to overcome sin, to not allow sin to, to be a, a, character, a characteristic of your lifestyle? God loves you. He gave you his Holy Spirit so that you can overcome sin, so that you can be restored, that you can be forgiven. If you would repent, if you would turn away from sin, Peter, he denied the Lord. Never again in Scripture do we hear that Peter denied the Lord. As a matter of fact, we see that Peter boldly proclaims the gospel, and 3,000 come to faith. Turn away from that lifestyle. Go the opposite way. That feeling of grief, that feeling of, of guilt over that sin should stir in you a, a, a passion, a desire to go hard for God, to go in the opposite direction. She would seek to glorify him even greater. Another important aspect here is, is that God gives Peter the, the commission to, to feed the lambs, to tend the sheep, 
to feed the sheep. We recognize that uh, Peter was one of the, the early church fathers. And as a leader, as we lead in our lives, or whether it be in our workplaces, or if we just are the example in our homes, the thing that we are to do is to, is to, to feed, to share the truth of God's word. We recognize that God's word is food, spiritual food. We are to share this. Peter was to share the word of God as he did when he shared the gospel, when he boldly went before the, the Pharisees. We are to do the same. We are to, to feed the sheep. We are to encourage other believers. We are to care for other believers. We are to share the scriptures with them. I praise God for the, the brothers that he put in my life to, to encourage me, to share with me, to just to have fellowship, to answer my, my dumb questions, just to sit there, to pray for me, to convict me, to, to hold me accountable, to make sure that, that I'm pursuing righteousness, I'm pursuing a godly life. Jesus commissions Peter to, to take care of the, the flock. We all are a part of the flock, but we all play a part in the keeping of us, of ourselves, by fellowship, by encouraging one another. I pray that we would all seek to, to link shields, so to speak, and to, to go hard for the Lord with, with everything that we have, that we would, if we see a brother straggling or, or, or going astray, that we would yank them back. If we see a sister struggling, that we would lift them up. Don't be so concerned about your own life. Be concerned about the body of Christ and how he may be glorified. So we see that, that Peter was restored here, that he confesses that, that he does love the Lord, that he loves the Lord with, the, with an honest love, with a brotherly affection. And Jesus, he, he met him right there. He didn't, he didn't ask him to, 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 to go further than what he knew he could possibly do. He met him exactly where he was at. And I believe the Lord will meet you exactly where you're at. Whatever you can do, whatever you can give, as much time as you can give to the Lord, he will meet you there. Just truly examine yourself. Ask yourself, am I giving everything that I can? Am I doing everything that I can? Do I truly love God? Do I truly love God? Do you truly love God? Offer yourself to him as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. So we continue on in the verse 18. It says, most assuredly, and Jesus says, most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wish. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. So verse 18, Jesus is speaking to Peter, says, you know, basically signifying the death that he would die. And we know that because scripture interprets scripture. The next verse says that this is what he was saying, that he was telling him the way that he would die. And church history records that, that Peter was crucified, but that he was crucified upside down because he didn't see fit to, to be crucified in the same manner as our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that he was crucified upside down. So Jesus spoke these words signifying which way that he would die glorifying God. But he said to him, follow me. Don't, don't, don't go your own way. Don't do your own thing. Follow me. Even though you're going to die, you're going to pass away. You will glorify God, but follow me. It's the same command God gives each and every one of you. Follow him. Follow God. Don't follow me. Don't follow the pastor. Don't follow any man. Follow God. 
Know God personally. Have that relationship. Know him by knowing his word. Follow him. Follow him through the scriptures. See what he did. See what he said. See how he acted with people. Follow him. Mimic his example. Because men will always fall short. I'll let you down. Jesus will never let you down. God will never let you down. Verse 20 says that Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who had also leaned on his breast, and at the supper said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Peter, see, Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Let's stop there. So often, Peter does something so great, and then all of a sudden he, he falls again so short. But the Lord asked Peter to follow him. And what's the first thing that Peter does? He turns around, he sees the disciple, the disciple whom Jesus loves, which we know is John. He turns around and sees him and says, like, what about this guy? Jesus says, don't worry about him. You follow me. And so often we can be so caught up in what the next man is doing or, or what that guy is doing in ministry. Oh, he's serving this, this area or, or he reads his Bible that much or, you know, they've read the Bible five times. Like, don't be concerned with, with what your brother is doing or what your sister is doing. Yes, care for them, encourage them, but don't be concerned with that. Follow God. You have a relationship with God. Establish your relationship with God. Build your relationship with God. Allow it to be personal. You follow God. Follow at the pace that he draws you to. Follow God. Don't worry about what the next man is doing. Follow God. Follow Christ. But Jesus said, if I, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? In verse 23, it says, This saying went out among the brethren that the disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? Simply declaring that, that God is in control of all things, that Christ is in control, that it's up to his will. If he wills it that a man would live forever, then it would happen. God can do all things. Christ can do all things. It declares his deity. Christ is God. He is God in the flesh. He is the word of God. If he wills it, then it will be. Our duty as believers is to make sure that our wills line up with his will. As we follow him, as we seek him daily, as we conform into the image of, of Christ, our wills should align up with his will. That we wouldn't be concerned about our own wills, but that our wills would be so, so entwined with God's will that the only things that we desire is him and following and seeking after him. Verse 24 says, this disciple, this is the disciple who testifies of these things and who wrote of these things. And we know that the, his testimony is true. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which when, if they were written one by one, I suppose that even not the books of the world can contain them. This finally we, did, we understand that, that John is the disciple that he's speaking of. When, whenever we go through the book of John and we always hear him say like, the disciple whom Jesus loved, or the disciple whom Jesus loved, the one who leaned on his breast. John is referring to himself, and he declares that here at the end. It's like almost at the end of the movie when you figure out who is the guy doing all the stuff behind the scenes. Like, I don't know. Again, that's just me looking at the Bible weird, but yeah. It's, he, we see that John is the one that he refers to as the disciple whom Jesus loves. 
And it says that we know that his testimony is true, that the things that he's written in this book are true. The whole of this, of this book that we hold, the whole of Scripture is true. It is valid. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man or the, the woman of God will be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Do you believe that? Do you truly, truly believe that? Donnie challenged us last week in his devotion. He said, if you believe it, prove it. Prove it. That's been running through my head all week. Prove it. Prove it. Prove it. Prove it. Do you truly love God? Do you truly believe this to be the very word of God? Prove it. Study it. Examine it. Ask the questions. Hide it in your heart. Memorize scripture. Quote scripture to your friends. Have a, a life that, that shows scripture that obeys scripture, that lives out the scripture. At the last verse, he says that if all the things that Christ had did had been written, that there wouldn't be enough books to contain all these things. But these things, as we were at the end of last chapter, that these were, things were written so that we would believe, so that we would have facts, that we would have proof. We know that Christ is at work, that everything that happens has been orchestrated by him. Just like I said earlier, that so often we can be caught up in, in our daily lives and just our daily activities that we miss. We miss the things that God would have us to see. We miss the, the works that he's doing. He's working so many miracles. The fact that you can drive home tonight after here and make it home safe is a miracle. The fact that you wake up in the morning is a miracle. The fact that you can drink water down your, down your throat and be nourished is a miracle. The fact that you can breathe is a miracle. The fact that your heart doesn't just stop on its own is a miracle. All these things God planned. He loves you. You're his child. You're his son. You're his daughter. He cares for you. He wants to know you. He wants to establish his relationship with you. But you have to commit to know him. Spend time in his word. Read it. Absorb it. Obey it. Be blessed. The disciples, when they obeyed the command of of Christ, when they obeyed the word of God, they were blessed. You want to be happy? You want to be blessed? You want to have life and that abundantly? Obey the word of God. Read the word of God. Maybe I'm just continuing to beat this up, but, man, I I so desire that each and every one of you would spend time with God. It, it, Man, it really hurts me, like, to think that people that say that they're Christians don't read their Bible. Like, how can you... Why would you not want to spend time with God? That's why we come together this, this day, to study every seventh chapter, that we would read this chapter, that we would con- commit ourselves to read the Bible every single day so that we would know God, so that we wouldn't just say that, oh, we, you know, we do this thing on Sunday or we meet and we sing songs and we clap our hands, but that we have a personal relationship with God, the almighty God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. He loves me, and I know he loves me because his word declares it. He's praying for me. He thinks about me. I pray that you would have that relationship with God. And if you don't, make the stand today. Make the choice today to spend time with God. Offer yourself to God. Offer whatever it is that you have. How much do you love God? How much do you love God? Prove it. It's a simple illustration, but I hope you guys wouldn't mind. Just raise your hand with me. Raise your hand as high as you can. All right. If this represents represents your walk with God... It's pretty good, right? I mean, it's pretty high, you know, really high. Now, raise your hand just a little bit more. Did you see that? You can put it down now. The point that I'm trying to make is just that much more. 
you can reach that much more. Everyone thought that they had their hands high, right? Everybody thought they had their hands high. But when you try, when you, when you exert the little extra effort, you can just reach that much more. You can draw that much more closer to God. I pray that you, would, that you would really realize that, that you would experience that, that you would seek to draw closer to God every single day. Read his word. He loves you. Respond in love. Obey him. Let's pray. God, Lord, I just ask that, that you would forgive us, Lord, just for, for not doing all that we can, for just becoming so familiar with the things that we do on a day-to-day basis that we don't even take time to recognize you for who you are. God, I pray that there would be change in each and every life here, that they would commit to know you even more today, that they would seek your face every single day, that we would draw close to you, that we would really have a relationship, or that we would truly be Christians. God, I just thank you for your word. You've equipped us. You've given us everything we need to be successful. Lord, help us to use it. Give us strength. Give us the desire. Help us, Lord. Convict us of the areas where we, where we have just grown dull to, to your, your leading and your, your word, that we would be constantly reminded, that our minds would constantly be renewed by your word. Lord, that we wouldn't become comfortable Christians, that we wouldn't seek to be just, just sitting in the boat dry, that we would be uncomfortable, that we would do everything that we can to get close to you. Lord, I thank you. I thank you so much for the work that you send your son to do for us, for me, that you love me, that you love each and every one of these here. Help us to respond rightly and to love you. Lord, I ask that you would just be with each of these and you would meet them right where they're at and that they will walk with you all the days of their life. I thank you, God. I love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.